a CYP Club podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the first conversation segment of CYP Voiced. We've divided this conversation segment up into two sections to allow for our guest who we've brought in today, Purvis Taylor. He's a best-selling author. He's got a company, Alchemic Solutions, and he's going to tell us all about uh, his experience with mental health. Welcome in, Purvis. We are very excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. All right. So uh, reading a little bit about you, I know that you have some background as a speaker, as a coach, as an author, as well as in marketing and clinical psychology. So could you give us a little bit of like a brief timeline of your life so far? Oh, wow. Um, So I originally moved to New York, I think, 18 years ago. Uh, Originally, I worked at Def Jam Records. And I worked in a marketing department and I was, I was also signed to Wilhelmina Models as a, a, a print model and actor. And after Wilhelmina, my, so how I got into the work that I'm doing, my father actually called me one day and he, I guess he had this prophecy, like he had this revelation of the work that I was going to do. And little did I know that, would, that was like one of the last conversations I had with my father before he died of a heroin overdose. And so... Um, he said to me that I, I would help people to become whole. I would help men uh, to heal. He said all these things. And this was, you know, many years ago. And at the time, again, like I said, I was working, I was modeling for Wilhelmina Models. So at the time, I didn't understand what he was talking about. And then fast forward, here we are. Um, I've been working in the, in the space of being a life coach for the last 10 years and with a niche in helping men, and particularly men of color in, in the realm of Uh, teaching them how to process their emotions and deal with their mental health. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for that. And it's, it's crazy how, um, we're kind of called to do certain things, you know, on a whim. I, I started very recently believing in, in signs and things happening for a reason. So, um, that's a very inspirational and, and touching story. Thank you for sharing that. That is one of my favorite things to talk about why everything happens for a reason and how all of the pieces always come together. So that makes me yeah. excited. Yeah, right, right. If and you're in agreement with it, only if you're in agreement with it. You know what yes. I mean? If you're not in agreement agreement with it, none of it makes sense. But I was in agreement. I was like, okay, I didn't know how it was going to unfold. And here we are years later. So, so did you have any inkling or any sort of... Um, interest in clinical psychology and emotional intelligence before that conversation with your father? Well, you know, I found, I was thinking about my life and I went through a depression after my father died and I thought about the things that brought me joy. And even, and I kid you not, even from junior high, middle school, I was always the person that people came to for advice or as a sounding board. So I was already in that space and I didn't know that. I was already a safe space for many people and I didn't have the language to to articulate that. But I, I recognized throughout my life, I was always the person that people confided in. They wanted advice and they shared things with me. They were very transparent with me. So I, I, I saw the, the through line and I just, and I slowly connected the dots. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think that like a lot of the work that I'm doing now, I definitely relate. Like it's been p- bits and pieces here and then it, they kind of just come all together uh, to, to culminate into one big thing. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, a lot of the work that you're doing, you're seeing such a shift um, from kind of how things were in terms of talking about mental health and, and expressing and finding that, that help. Um, and so what's been the, the biggest 
challenge that you faced in, in helping people who struggle with mental health and aren't exactly comfortable talking about it? Um, I would say the biggest challenge that I've seen in others is uh, not really having a safe space. Um, Cause you know, uh, particularly with men, like we're very vulnerable in, in that area. So for instance, I tell women all the time, like if a man shares something with you and that window of opportunity is very small. And if, if, and if that, if that trust is violated, like if you bring it back up and you throw it in his face or you don't receive it or you don't handle it right, he won't ever open up to you again. And, and, and people don't understand that how fragile we are in that area. So I found that a lot of men have not had safe spaces. Um, I think also another challenge for them is that they don't have the language. They don't have the emotional lexicon to really conceptualize what it is that they're experiencing. And what do you think that you attribute that to? I think probably um, like stigma, right? Existing stigma and, and you know perception of mental health. Stigma culture culturally, like I think even you know amongst all ethnicities, like men are strongest identifier as being a provider. Right. And so like when we think about what we do, when we when we're affirmed in our masculinity, we think about how much money we make, you know, how who we provide for, what we provided for ourselves. And rarely do we ever get to explore the other aspects of who we are as human beings. So we don't become actualized as sons or as friends or as brothers. You know what I mean? So that that's part of it. You know what I mean? Like and that's across the world. Right. Um, and, and so that so I think that plays a part into um why we're not why we don't have the emotional lexicon you know what i mean we're supposed to be providers that's it you know women say they like the strong silent type right you know what i mean so that that means he's silent about a lot of things about his emotions about his pain about his hurts you know what i mean so you know it's just it's just culture mm. i love this conversation so much yes. <laughs> Because, so it's funny that your background is marketing and then psychology, because that's the opposite of me. I, uh, I used to be psychology and work in mental health, and now I'm in marketing. Uh. But I've, ha I've had a lot of conversations about trauma specifically, uh, like trauma-informed care. And I noticed um, in the description of your book, Sir Thrival Mode, you put trauma and a how-to guide for men in the same sentence, which I have never seen before because like you said, men don't typically get vulnerable and they don't typically open up um, about those emotions. So how do you even start making that safe space? Well, you know, one of the things I, I inform men and, and women, who, whomever reads, reads that book or, wh or whomever I'm in front of, you know, trauma that's not transmuted is transmitted, then we transact with it. So in other words, if you don't deal with your stuff, it shows up in every area of your life. You start to exchange with it, right? Which is what relationships are in exchange. Um, one of the first things that I do is I make, first of all, I make it paramount for, for any man to know that I am no better than you. I'm on the same journey as you. What I have is I have more tools in my tool belt, right? And so I make it very plain and very clear at the gate. I've suffered with molestation. I had a father die of a heroin overdose. I've been homeless. I dealt with um, being emasculated and, and low self-esteem and depression. I've dealt with a lot of things that I feel that most human beings have experienced. And so I want them to know that we're on the same level. So what it is is that in me being transparent, I create an environment for men to share. So that's how I, that's how I begin to make breakthroughs. Because people have asked me for years, like even, you know, 
PhDs or PsyDs, they were like, Purpose, how do you connect with men so well? How do you get them to open up? It's just that. I'm not afraid of my narrative. I'm not ashamed of what I've been through or my experiences. And stand, I think that I stand in such a power because I those things no longer master me. I master them. And I think that's what, um, if you know, humbly, that I think that's what others see when, I, when I'm speaking or I'm doing work with men. That's so inspirational. Honestly, I'm kind of just like awestruck listening to you speak because, you know, this, this stigma of if you are interested in your mental health as a man or if you express your mental health, you're weak. In discussing, you know, mental health, we, we talked about things like Black Lives Matter and we talked about things like COVID and how that's affected uh, mental health and kind of transitioned the, the stigma of it. Um, but I, we didn't really talk about the difference between uh, gender and, and stigma. So that's very interesting. Um, Mary mentioned your book, Sir Thrival Mode. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, so Sir Thrival Mode, so how I came up with the title, Sir Thrival, obviously, you know, taking surviving to thriving. And one of the things that I, I recognize that what people do with trauma, right? We do two things. One, we build a house and reside in it and live in our trauma, or we use it as a bridge to take us to our next place, right? And so I wanted survival mode, the book, to be the bridge to take you to the next place for any man that read or anybody who read the book. Um, what I wanted was I thought about my life and I thought about all the things that I've been through and, and the lives of men that I've helped um, get towards a place of thriving and towards the journey of wholeness. And I asked myself, I said, what were the commonalities in all of us and how we got to where we are? And, that, and that's how I came up with the four A's of survival mode. I wanted to write a book that was very short very succinct and very to the point um it's very raw but it's to the point because i didn't want whomever whatever man got the book to say like oh it's too thick or it's too long for me to read i made it short on purpose and i try to make it as as non-clinical as possible even though the approaches are clinical right um but yeah I, it was just my desire to in case men don't go to therapy at least they have something that they can be applying to their lives in in the interim my 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 biggest prayer is that every man or every person who reads the book that they do seek therapy but the book is kind of like a bridge yeah and you had mentioned something earlier that stood out to me because we were talking about how um people see therapy as such a um people have i think a misperception of therapy um and they see it as this thing that's inherently bad but i always like to describe it as seeing somebody who has the tools to teach you um, how to work with yourself and how to work around mental health. And so that concept of um, having the tools and, and being more to the point about what mental health is, I think is awesome. And so survival mode uh, does a good job at that, it sounds like. So, so congratulations on that book, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But yeah, no, um, what you said was very poignant, you know, um, when I'm having conversations with even amongst African Americans where it's even more taboo mental health, I say, you know, the problem is that we look at it, we we equate it to being broken or sickness rather than maintenance and wellness. Right? When your engine light goes off, that means it's time for you to go get a your oil change, right? It's the same thing. It's nothing, you know, and even if you don't have something going wrong, it's just good to process and unpack with someone whose sole objective is to see you be well they're completely unbiased they're they, they're literally just there to hear to help you to unearth 
to trace the pathology of things, to help you develop some tools, to help you to see clearly, to help you build. And and that's really what therapy is. And I think a lot of times we we equate it with illness, which you know it is for that as well, but it's really more for maintenance and wellness. You need to, if you take care of your body, you also have to take care of your mind. Mm. When it's explained that way, it just seems like such common sense. Mm. But why do you think it is such a taboo, and especially in the African-American community, why is it seen as a weakness? Well, I think I think a lot of times for in the African-American community, you know, it, it's generational. Right. And I think even with even with you guys, like even your grandparents, like they have their they're like a, a vault full of secrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just that's just the generation. And I think it's more so like their mindset was like, well, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to, you know, make ends meet. We don't have time to deal with our issues, right? But unfortunately, what's happened is like now everybody's successful. Like, I mean, we have so much access to success in ways that we never had, like our grandparents never had. And now it's like our brains are literally conditioned for success, but it's not conditioned to deal with trauma, right? Their brains were deal were conditioned to suppress, right? Our brains are no longer like that. And so we have to deal with it now. And I think part of the the larger issue of why it's taboo is that we've never seen it modeled. We've never seen a person who's gone to therapy and seen the results of it. And I think that's really the bigger thing. It's like, we haven't seen it. You know, it's like even with men, like who don't know how to be husbands or who don't know how to be fathers, typically they haven't seen it modeled. And so they're figuring it out as they go along. Um, but I think it's that. I think it's because we've never seen it before. And also, you know, representation matters as well. And what do you feel like the representation in the mental health field is like um, in, in terms of, I'm interested, demographic, because we've seen a lot of up until this point are women therapists um, who are oftentimes white. Uh, and so we're starting to diversify that realm of mental health. Uh, what does that transition look like to you? So that way we can see uh, like you had mentioned, we can see that. Well, I think I think it's more so about, you know, so first, you know, what's paramount is for us to understand is that psychology is not an exact science, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that what may work for Mary may not work for me, right? And then also, too, is very Eurocentric based. And so we have to develop more modalities that appeal to various people, right? And find things that may work. So, CB, so um, uh, CBT may work for Mary, but, you know, Jungian psychology may work for me and finding ways um, to, to merge and develop new ways. And I mean, cause even now, like even a new emergent therapy is uh, lived experiences, right? So people aren't going to an actual traditional therapist. They're actually going to groups of people say, for instance, if you lost a child, right? Those groups have, have proven to be just as successful as traditional therapy. And so it's really about exploring various modalities that may work for different groups. And so I think that's one, that's where we have to start. It's like, you know, we, we appreciate and respect, you know, the, the foundation, but now it's a time to explore other avenues um, that appeal to other communities. This is fitting so beautifully with what we talked about the other day. It really is. It really <laughs> um, is. But I love that because absolutely, as someone who used to facilitate therapeutic group activities, I can absolutely say one thing that works for somebody does not work for the other. But in bringing all of those people together, you kind of get a little bit of everything and everybody walks away with a different experience for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just, I think it's, you know, we have to get a little bit more curious in the mental health community. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 
I mentioned earlier uh, COVID and, and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I would say that if somebody asked me to describe 2020, I would say those two things. Um, and so we're seeing an impact on mental health uh, from both things, right? Uh, you know, people of color are very impacted by the Black Lives Matter movement mentally, um, and obviously the reasons why it's happening. And then COVID has people sequestered and isolated, um, and that has its own effect on mental health. And so I'm interested to know, um, especially given that you work with men of color, um, how you've seen those two things um, affect the community. Yeah, you know, what's been interesting is like, you know, it's known as what we call it complicated grief because there's so many things happening. So the human being has issues, right, that they, that they need to work with. Then the other layer of being COVID and some of them are affected financially, right? And so that COVID thing is another layer. And then on top of that, the other layer of Black Lives Matter, right? And so it becomes very, very complicated, um, the grief. But the one thing that I have been advising um, men and everyone um, is to honor what's available to you, right? The one thing about us as being human beings is that we are not either or, we're both and, right? So that means you can honor the grief, you can honor the pain as it comes up, but you also need to honor what can possibly come from you. So I always say that life happens to us, but life also happens from us. And so you need to be able to honor all of those things. You need to honor the the what's real and also what's true, right? So. The reality is, is like, yes, we have been uh, disproportionately um, treated in COVID and even with Black Lives Matter and all those things. But also, too, we've accomplished so many things. And also, too, you can still accomplish things. Also, too, you still can create. You can still build. You can still um, thrive, even in the midst of all these things happening. And so I don't ever want you to negate all these things that are happening. I want you to honor it, but I also want you to not lose track that you still have power in this situation. And so for me, that's that's always been my stance. Like people have asked me in several interviews, like, how do I feel? And I'm like, you know, obviously that does make me mad as hell, but I, I'm reminded that I'm also impacting lives. So I'm helping people to cope and thrive in the midst of this pandemic and, um, you know, racial pandemic as well as a health pandemic, right? And so that's, so, I've been able to shift. So when that comes up, I honor it, but I'm also able to honor the fact that I'm actually in purpose. And I think it's so important because you mentioned before that earlier generations were taught to suppress things, whereas here you are teaching people to acknowledge the challenges, but to also grow from those challenges and help those challenges you know, find their, like, find their power through all of those challenges, which kind of remind me, um, you mentioned before the four A's in your book, and I feel like that's very related to this conversation. Could you walk us through what those are? Absolutely. Um, so the first A of Sotharvamo is acknowledgement. Um, you know, and I, I say in the book that Alcoholics Anonymous is the most successful recovery program because every single meeting, they say, hi, my name is Purvis, and I'm an alcoholic. So acknowledgement is the beginning of a breakthrough, right? So you have to acknowledge that something isn't working or something is, is going wrong, right? Next is acceptance, which is the most challenging part of the Survivor Mode 4 A's because acceptance is, is challenging because it almost feels like you agreed with what happened to you or you wanted it to happen, which is not the case. Acceptance is the last stage of the Kubler-Ross model of grief, right? So technically acceptance is the end of your suffering. Um, 
acceptance says this happened. I'm agreeing that it happened. I'm not agreeing that I wanted it to happen. Right. That's a distinction. Acceptance is so powerful because it springboards you into the next place. Right. So for me being molested, I had to accept the fact that I was molested. Did I want to be molested? Of course not. Did I want to have all the all the trauma that came along with it? Of course not. But I had to accept that that's what it was in order for me to have power to move on to the next place. So once you accept something, that's when you get power. Next is articulation, which is being able to, especially for men, um, to articulate, to express what has happened to you because your healing is in your words. So the more words you use, the greater your healing can be. And typically men, um, you know, I share in the book that on average, women speak 30,000 words a day and on average, men speak 10,000 words a day. So there is a 20,000 word gap in communication, right? Especially in the male-female dynamic. And so um, it's about articulating and expressing what, what is done to you and what you want to happen, right? Also, so it's not about, it's also about what you want to happen, the dream that you have. I always tell people, I said, you know, when you're going on a journey of healing, you got to have a destination. You got to have a goal. So it's not just to heal through the pain. You got to have something to heal towards, to heal, to heal, you know what I mean? To heal towards. Uh, and lastly, it's alchemy, which is my favorite part, which is transforming all of that stuff into something greater. So taking, you know, alchemy is basically turning lead into gold. And so how it's about transforming all the stuff that you've been through and turning it into something gold. So I took all of the things that I've been through, all the pain, all the tears, all the depression, all the suicide ideation, all of that stuff. And now I'm a person that empowers men in their masculinity when I was disempowered in mine. You see what I'm saying? So like it's a we all can take the experiences that we've been through and transform it into something greater. Now, I don't know what that looks like for each person. Only we only you know that whether it's like with you, Mary, it could be just for you to be a great mom or a greater sister or a greater friend. Even if it's that, it's still that's still amazing. You you understand what I'm saying? But it's about taking that stuff and transforming it into into greater. Hmm. That's awesome. And one of I love that one of the A's is alchemy because that's also uh, the name of the business you co-founded. Can you tell us a little bit about what alchemy does? Yeah. So um, al alchemy is transform transformational. Um, it's about it's literally taking lead into gold. So like with my program that I have um, called Alchemic Solutions, it teaches young men of color how to develop emotional intelligence. So how to transform those negative emotions in into a positive outcome. And what I mean by positive, meaning that you don't react emotionally, that you choose differently, that you try to find a better alternative. And, and so like that, that's why we called it Alchemic Solutions, uh, to be able to transform those emotions and to develop a solution that yields to a, a positive outcome. So with not reacting, um, I, I'm sure that people in your um, program, as well as yourself and all of us, have had um, conversations that have been very uncomfortable, but very necessary. So what are the, some of the ways that you teach um, the men in your program to have those uncomfortable conversations with someone who may not know anything about emotional intelligence? Yeah, I definitely think um, it's about examining knowing yourself first. So being self-aware, knowing how you show up emotionally and, and knowing what your triggers are, right? I think it's so important for you to be able to know what your triggers are because once you know what your triggers are, you can you can respond accordingly, right? Not react, but respond. And then it's also about taking a break 
taking a, I say take a pause to be able to collect yourself, to be able to form what it is you want to say and form it in such a way that it honors who you are, but it doesn't dishonor who you are. So not coming out of character, but that, you know, it's a skill and it's something, you know, it's something that you develop and you continue to do over time. So like, I don't even always get it perfect. You know what I mean? But it's something that that's the, that's the goal. Um, and then also knowing who you're speaking to, understanding the emotion or the affect that, that they may have and being able to figure out ways to navigate through it, studying the person that you're dealing with. That's what emotional intelligence is, is being able to, to understand the emotions that you're experiencing and understand the emotions or lack of that the other person is, is experiencing and being able to process it in such a way that gives a positive outcome. But one of the things that I, I share with me all the time is, is I say I statements, not you statements. So I feel in my experience with this relationship, this has come up. So like, I, I definitely, I always want people to feel empowered and I don't want people to feel disempowered even in having an uncomfortable conversation. So we don't want to finger point, we want to say in my experience. And that, and that to me is less threatening than mm -hmm. you did this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's just something quickly that I, I, I try to share with them. And also too, like making sure that you have a, you've conceptualized thought in a way that truly honors what it is you're trying to say. So if you can't, if you can't construct the thought of what you want to say, then don't have the conversation. That's a very good point. I had not even, I had not even thought about that though. Like construct the thought before you have a conversation. Oftentimes I just start a conversation and like find my way through by the end. Um, but because what ends up happening is you'll leave the conversation. You're like, Oh, I should have said that. Oh, I should have said that. Oh, that's what I really meant. You know, all the time, all the time. Um, I love that your book is, uh, I guess I want to say short, sweet, and to the point, because I think a lot of what exists in terms of resources in the mental health space is oftentimes drawn out and hard to understand and hard to digest. Um, and so even with this podcast, we want to make sure we're giving listeners uh, action items or things that they can tangibly take away and say, this is something that I'm going to implement into my life. And so um, as somebody with all of this, all of this knowledge and all of this you know, great experience, what would you say the first step to a listener of this podcast is uh, in walking away from this and exploring their emotional intelligence? Um, one of the things I, I always say is to be able to spend time with yourself, right? And ask yourself questions out of curiosity rather than shame or judgment. That's so important. Um, why, you know, like I ask myself all the time, like there's a certain person I see and I'm triggered. Like as soon as I see them, I'm triggered. And I had to ask myself, purpose, why? Why do you react so harshly when you see them in, internally? Right? I'm hoping that I'm not showing anything <laughs> externally, but internally, I, I have a reaction. And I had to ask myself, I had to explore, explore, explore. I was like, oh, they reminded you of an experience. They reminded you of a person. And that, per that experience made you feel shame or that person made you feel bad. So they, something about them reminds you of that experience. And so in tracing that right through introspection, I was able to understand why I show up that way. Now I have a choice that I can make in the situation. So I would say spend time with yourself. And I think the most beautiful thing about COVID, if I can say anything beautiful about COVID, is that people have been able, I feel this is a time of self-discovery, discovering who you are and who you are not. And, and so like, I definitely think spending time with yourself, making, being intentional by sitting with yourself and asking yourself questions out of curiosity, not judgment. 
I love that so much because that was basically my silver lining of COVID as well. But I think that a lot of people are so scared to sit with themselves and they're so Mm -hmm. scared to acknowledge not only how other people make them feel, but just how they feel in general. Like it's something that everybody tries so hard to distract themselves from. Yeah. And and I think it's because we haven't gotten a chance to know who we are, even in this and even in exploration of of like the things that are kind of not as positive or beautiful, we should be exploring the things that are positive. So it's not a just exploration of what's not working. It should be exploration of what is working. And there's always something that is working. And so you need to have that as well. You know, like that's the thing when like when you're doing inventory, you want to take stock of the positive things just as much as you take stock of the things that aren't working. I didn't say negative. I said things that aren't working. So you have to be able to honor both, right? Remember I said that we're both in. So you have to honor, you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have some positive things working for you in order to really deal with the things that aren't working. And I think that's where people miss the point. We want to go to the, this isn't good, this is bad. We skip over what's, well, what is actually good. You do have something positive about you. Let's build from there. And then we go over to the other space. Do you have a go-to book or podcast recommendation? Um, go-to book. Uh, I always, I like The Alchemist. Right. Um, I like this book called How People Grow by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And um, From Good to Great. Mm. That was actually a trick question. The correct answer was survival mode. <laughs> ah! <laughs> You know what's so funny? I literally, so I just did a um, a new edition of Survivor Mode and I read it because I had to read it for, for, for editors, for the editing. And I was like, oh my God, this book is amazing. And I'm not even because I wrote it, but I was just like, oh my God, this is, because I, once I write something, I kind of remove myself from it. So I'm not as versed in it because I didn't, I don't want to, even though I probably should, but just reading it literally, like objectively, it's a really, really good book. Wow. Um, how long is it just for like reference in case somebody wants to pick it up? I think it's like 84 pages. 84. Oh, that's quick. That's in one sitting. You could read that in one sitting. That's in one sitting. Wow. Well, that's awesome. And I have to tell you that I've had, I've had men who've gone to therapy after reading the book. I've had marriages restored. I've had, you know, men apologize to the children's mother. I've had, um, Let's see, I've had women who read the book and they they had to apologize to their husband because it, it takes such a deep dive into how men show up emotionally. So I've I've had so many um success stories from people read like I have therapist friends who recommend that their male clients read the book before they begin therapy. That's incredible. That is huge. And it just goes to show like how much insight can be gained and how much uh, like actionable wisdom there is within 84 pages. And then my last very important question for you is if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's a hard question. <laughs> it's also a trick question. <laughs> oh my God, that's a trick question. Jeez. Uh, well, I'm going to go with the, the answer that came to my mind and that's mango. I love mango. 
So the very first thing that comes to my mind is, um, you know those chocolate oranges that come out at Christmas time? I am obsessed with that. Really? My boyfriend got me several for Christmas. I will eat those nonstop. I had some before I came here. Yeah. I am obsessed with them. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, it's it's a bit more... Uh, unhealthy. I am a sucker for Oreos. I can eat an entire pack of Oreos in in 84 pages essentially. I can, in one sitting, I can I can down an entire pack of Oreos. So that was clever, Anthony. I like that. Well, Purvis, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. You're actually the first guest that we've had on this podcast, so you will always hold a special place in our hearts. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Purvis. Thank you for joining us. I also want to take a second to thank our listeners for tuning in for the first section of our Conversations podcast. From here, we will move on into community, and you'll want to tune in. We've got some great stuff coming up. My name's Anthony Granitas, and this has been CYP Voiced.